True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I am your host, Justin Fraser, here with Michael Becker of SPI Advisory. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hey, Justin, appreciate you having me on. Thanks. I'm so glad you're here. And we have such a timely topic to cover today because uh, most of your portfolio is frozen (laughs) where it was last week, Uh, being that you guys are in Texas. We're definitely going to get into all of that because uh, for anyone not familiar, Texas just went through a huge deep freeze, not something that you guys are particularly used to. And so I want to dive in and talk about all the aspects um, with that. And so Timely show for me. I'm sure it was not uh, not that great for you, but we're going to get into that. But before we do, uh, let our audience know just a little bit about you, how you got into real estate, and, and what you're doing now. Yeah, no, appreciate you having me on and opportunity to talk to your 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 uh, listeners here. And and so yeah, Michael Becker, based in Dallas, Texas, uh, principal of a company uh, SPI Advisory. So we've done about a little bit over 10,000 units in the last eight years. We own about 6,000 approximately today, split between the majority of those up in Dallas-Fort Worth. We have like 1,300, 1,400 units in, in the greater Austin area as well. So Dallas-Fort Worth and Austin are the two two markets that we uh, we play in. So pretty competitive uh, uh, hot markets over the last you know many years yeah. and started out doing a lot of workforce housing. So in Texas, kind of think 1960s, 1970s, kind of for year construction for like kind of C-class, then transitioned to a whole lot of B-class. And, and most of what we own today, kind of A to A minus, so say 20 years or younger, is as far as like vintage is, is most of what we have. Prior to this, I was a uh, commercial real estate lender for, for many years. So I was loaning money to other people, kind of realized I was on the wrong side of all those deals, kind of better be the, <laughs> the borrowers than the lender. So sure. went out, like I said, about, about a decade ago, started doing real estate about eight years ago, transitioned into multifamily exclusively and, and left the bank. And and so, you know, it's been, been a pretty good run on top of that. The host of a, a podcast called the Multifamily Investing Show, Michael Becker. So it's a video podcast on YouTube and iTunes and Stitchers or probably anywhere you hear my voice is, is kind of, you probably find it or go to our website, which is www.multifamilyinvestingshow.com. So with that, I'm happy to talk about my very bad, terrible week last week, if uh, you want to get into that. <laughs> well, I, I yes, I have a few questions, if you don't mind, sure. before we jump right into that. Um, you know, you mentioned that you started in C-Class. A lot of our listeners are multifamily owners. They maybe have small portfolios. They're looking to grow. You know, I myself, we just crossed over a thousand units, um, all C-class, right? Uh, value add workforce housing. Can you just talk about that transition? Because you said you started in in there with the C and you worked your way to B and A. Is that is that like a normal progression that people go through as you start to build that portfolio up, that you start looking at Bs and As and, and also why? Yeah, I, th- I think so, right? I mean, I think that's kind of the, the more you do, um, you know, you get in this business, you know, one of one or two things usually happens. You get in it, you absolutely, uh, you know, you love it. You're like, man, I can't wait to sell my older, smaller stuff and buy bigger, better, newer. Or you get in it and you absolutely hate it. Like, man, I can't wait to sell this stuff and never do it again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, one of my one of my mentors told me once, uh, you know, you, you own apartments in dog years, 
right? So mm. every year ownership feels like seven. Sure. And the older and smaller these deals, the more true that statement is, you know, just more more physical problems, more tenant problems with the older, the older stuff. And, you know, so that, that's been kind of part of it. And part of it, I mean, obviously I've been, I've been um, blessed to be in the market and uh, absolute, you know, the, the golden age of multifamily ownership, the last decade has been just unbelievable. Yeah. So we've been successful in you know, selling stuff for, you know, material um, profits and, and great multiples. And so our ability to track capital is greater. So to kind of, you know, do bigger deals is, is kind of what we have the ability to do. And then this entire time, the cap rates have kind of compressed upon each other. So, you know, what used to be a pretty big spread between the top of the grade and the bottom of the grade, cap rates are pretty much on top of themselves, at least on the markets I play in. And so, you know, it doesn't make as as much sense to me to say, to pay the same or a very similar cap rate for something built in 1974 that I can for something built in Mm -hmm. 2004, 2014, you know, I mean, you're paying virtually the same cap rate. I know what you're, what you're giving up is the value add that you have and the the more, uh, you know, workforce housing that you don't necessarily have that in the class A stuff, but the A minus stuff you do, the stuff that's 15 years old has, you know, cheap countertops and from and white appliances and, and things like that. So there's still the value add and the, and the stuff that's say 10, 10 to 20 years old that you don't necessarily have and the stuff that's two years old, you don't really have the sure. value add. But that's some of the reasons why we kind of trade it up. Yeah, I mean, even something built, you know, in 2006, uh, still 15 years of age on it, right? It's about probably about time to do a renovation on it. That's right. And they didn't, they didn't knock those units out. I mean, they did, at least not in Texas. I mean, they didn't have, you know, in most cases they had white appliances or black appliances and they had laminate countertops and they just didn't, they didn't knock them out like they do mm-hmm. today. So you have, you know, something that's 15 years old instead of something that's 50 years old and you still have the ability to go in and, uh, do some tweaks to the, the interiors and common areas and, and push the rents, you know, I mean, honestly, after 10 years, this stuff wears out. So you gotta, sure. gotta re-renovate all this stuff after a period of time anyways. Right. Um, so just, can we talk about returns a little bit? Are you syndicating first? Are you, are you yeah, that's, investors? That's, uh, we, we, okay. we do two, two ways, either the bulk of what we do is um, multifamily syndications, hundred thousand minimums kind of go, go raise capital mm-hmm. from private people. Okay. We kind of carved out a little niche where we'll do some 1031 work. So if you're a rich guy from California, you sold a building, got, you know, five, 10 million bucks in 1031 money. You want to come to Texas, don't know anybody, we're here to help. So we'll, we'll do a tenant in common form, uh, kind of JV, the deal with uh, kind of the one-off equity partner. You'll place so we're them pretty into successful your syndication. With that as well. Okay. Got it. Excellent. Um, and so, you know, just curious in your area between the C, B and A type properties, you mentioned, you know, you could do a heavier value add on C's, which is why we do it. But what kind of returns are you able to generate for your investors on, on you know, the types of properties you're buying right now? Yeah, t- today, most of these deals were performing between a 13 and 15 IRR. So, uh, you know, most okay. of these deals kind of average cash on cash is probably seven to eight. But, you know, you start out lower and then, you know, over the, the years, it gets a little bit better. So your equity multiple is probably one seven to one eight uh, over okay. a five year period is, is generally kind of what we're underwriting to, you know, so the, the um, you don't quite have the same lift, but your debt's better. I mean, you get better, you get better debt in a lot of, a lot of respects, the nicer, newer, better, got a lot and, more multiple multitude of options that, you know, mm-hmm. the life insurance companies aren't going to likely loan on something that's in workforce housing where they will on the stuff that we're buying today. So you get a little bit better uh, debt terms. Right. Right. Make, Makes complete sense. And on the asset management side, it, it's got to be uh, less challenging to manage an A, A yes. class property than a C class <laughs> property. For sure. For sure. Uh, 
Yeah. I mean, look, we're over here, you know, cutting our teeth on the C-class stuff and really forces us to, to have locked in processes and, and strong asset management because um, there's, there's a lot of moving pieces, but yeah, I, I look at an A-class property. I'll drive by like, I would love to manage that property. I would love to own that thing. It's yeah, gotta people, be so much easier, but people can pay you rent and they have chicken accounts. And, uh, <laughs> it's amazing. You know, like that. <laughs> um, well, all right. Thank you. Thanks for that overview. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And, and so tell me then about this last week, let's set it up, you know, Texas, as you said, all of your properties are in Texas. We've had, um, what, the coldest week on record? Is, is that what happened pretty much? Yeah, the, uh, Sunday through Tuesday was the coldest three-day stretch in recorded history in Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, it was the average temperature of about 10 degrees uh, average and tied the second coldest day, I think was Tuesday, was at DFW Airport ever on record was negative two. So the second coldest temperature ever recorded at DFW. So what was, uh, you know, what was so bad about it was, you know, it was basically five days continuous below freezing, um, which, you know, we just don't have that here. Um, those yeah. long stretches, usually you get like a cold day and then the next day it's like 50 and everything that kind of dumps melts in a day or so, or this mm-hmm. was a prolonged stretch for, for us here in Texas. And then, uh, and then what, what, you know, which we saw coming, you know, Justin, we, we, you know, we were preparing all week, kind of saw the forecast, you know, we're kind of getting, getting ready for it. And then, um, and then, you know, what, what we didn't prepare for was, uh, the, the, the power grid. So in the United States, there's three power grids, the Western part, the Eastern part in Texas, and then the, the, the state is a deregulated state for energy. So evidently the, um, the board that was kind of responsible for the grid didn't do a good job of oversight of making sure all these power generating uh, facilities were properly winterized. So, you know, you had, um, multiple, we have multiple types of energy and natural gas, coal, uh, renewables, you know, wind is a big thing in Texas. So all the wind turbines kind of froze up. So kind of took some of that load, put a little bit on the other sites and those sites didn't properly winterize. And then all of a sudden they started shutting down. So we had, you know, multiple days of rolling blackouts uh, throughout. So you had the coldest weather on, in, in history. And when then your power was at my house, it'd be like two hours on three, four hours off for, uh, uh-huh. for, you know, about a better parts of two days. And we were, I think, relatively lucky. I think some people went, you know, a day or two straight without any power. So having pipes and without the heat, just, you know, just turned into a dumpster fire, to be honest with you. <laughs> so we had about 6,000 units and we had about 300. So roughly 5% of our units had some form of water damage um, from, you know, really minor to, you know, sheetrock falling because uh, water, water pipes burst above it. So it was a pretty, uh, pretty challenging week. Wow. All right. Um, so let's talk then about some of those challenges. I mean, your power outage, you know, and, and water, I guess, are, are the two. Um, first off, are your, you know, are your tenants okay? Is everyone sort of okay and we've come through this or what's Yeah, the yeah, we're, we're mostly on the backside of it. It's going to be almost 80 degrees today and sunny. So that's <laughs> kind of your Texas weather, you know, for you. We could have used, uh, you know, 50 of those degrees last, yeah. last week. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's mostly behind us. We have maybe one asset we're still playing whack-a-mole with. Um, you know, so, so a couple of issues. Yeah. Water was, was the biggest like physical threat to our properties. Um, you know, and fortunately, I mean, or fortunately, not fortunately, it wasn't just us. It wasn't like something we did. It was, a you know, outside a, a weather event that affected everybody. So every, virtually right. every apartment building in the entire state had some, some sort of issue, right. certainly in North Texas, it was a little bit more impactful in Dallas Fort Worth than it was say in Houston, uh, and, or San Antonio kind of further South from, from us. But, um, you know, we really, with the newer assets come fire sprinklers, which you don't have in the older assets. So kind of about, 
1990 and newer, they tend to kind of put the fire sprinklers in and the stuff of the eighties generally don't have fire sprinklers unless it was retrofitted with a, a fire had to be rebuilt or something like that. So those, that, that was one issue. Um, so, you know, we had um, done our best to try to make sure all the, the, on the outside of your buildings, you have what they call riser rooms, at least in Texas, that's where the water comes into the fire sprinkler system. So it's a little uh, kind of building at our little room added on the closet added on the outside of your building. So they have um, like heaters in them that, that you trip on when it gets cold. So they mm -hmm. don't get too cold on the pipes freeze. So we made sure we walked every one of those, got all of them working. If it didn't work, we bought a new one. It was all set up, you know, so we had all the, all the riser rooms heaters on. So we wouldn't have those issues and up in the attic. Um, you have some of the fire sprinklers as well, and you make sure they you do your best to make sure they're insulated as best as possible. All your vacants had you you turn all the heat on. You gave notice to everybody drip your faucet, turn your heat on, et cetera. And then, like I said, they cut the power. So then that <laughs> that's when all hell broke loose. So we had uh, Monday. We went through and pretty much just um, drained all our our, our systems. Uh, our fire suppression systems, try to get it out. Then you had to go in with the fire watch. So you have to literally pay someone to look at your buildings 24 hours a day to make sure if they're on fire, you go bang on doors and, and let your residents know that, that there's a fire because your wow. system's off. Wow. So that's, you know, whatever, 30 bucks an hour for how yeah. many days you had to do that. And then we had to pay someone to drain our systems. So try to, we had a couple breaks and what like that kind of mitigated a lot of the damage, but then, then you started having like fresh water uh, issues. And so, we had a building where they run the pipes to the, uh, the the attic. Like, who knew that, right? And then all of a sudden, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> Normally, it's not a problem in Texas, right? Yeah, and then that's a terrible idea. And then, you know, some of these buildings that are like raft construction, so like four-story, four, five-story mid-rise with elevators, you know, like the fifth floor would have a break, and then, you know, gravity goes down. So then you get, you know, all the four floors below you. So it's not like a garden-style two, three-story walk-up. You got four or five uh, stories that all, you know, kind of go down. So it was quite a, quite a mess. And then, you know, a lot of these buildings, we had to turn the, the water off to. Then as we started thawing out, you turn the water on and then the guys, you get a whole crew of guys out there, your maintenance guys or plumbers. And then you turn the water on and you, you know, the section and you get a leak, you turn it off, you go fix these leaks, then you turn it back on and you go down the chain. And then next building, next unit down, then, you know, get these, these water leaks that you then identify, you turn the water off, go fix them and so forth and so on. So just like a big game of whack-a-mole, just, you know, yeah. every time you push one down, another one pops up. And so it's just about being persistent and organized and staying on top of it and putting in the work. And, and, you know, fortunately the, 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 the guys that are pretty good job, the maintenance crews and management did a pretty good job and staying on top of it, but it was, uh, you know, challenging to say the least. I I can only imagine, um, and and I'm I'm very interested in the logistics on the asset management side. Um, you, it, please correct me if I'm wrong, but you oversee asset managers on your team. Yeah, right? yeah. So we, uh, yeah, we we use a third party management company, and mm -hmm. then we, uh, yeah, asset manage here. So I have an employee who does asset management, okay. pretty experienced guy that he reports up through me. Okay. So, so how do you and your asset manager, you know, okay, the cold is coming. We see it on the news. Um, we're starting to get reports from our PMs about, you know, water breaks and the fire system. Um, can you just take us through the, the responsibilities that you and your asset manager have? And just, you know, you said it was a week from hell. Like tell us a little bit about what you in that role have to do and, and your asset manager to, uh, to work through all these different problems that are, that are coming up. You know, a lot of, a lot of it's, uh, you know, leading up to it, we, we had a lot of kind of direction and conversations about, you know, should we preemptively drain our sprinkler systems mm -hmm. and 
go to fire watch kind of preemptively. What does that look like? Call the fire department and see, are we going to get trouble with the fire department? You know, stuff like that. Right. Yeah, so we had a yeah. lot of that kind of leading up to it. Like I mentioned, make sure the rise rooms, heaters were working, things, things like that. Make sure all the vacants have that, have the heater on. And then when they cut the power, it's just kind of like, Oh shit, what do you, what do you do? Right. You know? Yeah, so then it's yeah. kind of a lot of, it's just kind of reporting the news and, and a lot of ways staying in contact with the management. But at some point, like they don't need to be talking to us on the phone. They need to be taking action and right. solving, solving these problems. So making sure that we, you know, <clears throat> clearly say spend whatever you need to spend, you know, budget, budget be damned. We got to stop and mitigate the, <laughs> mitigate the damage. Right. I mean, you know, we got right. an operating budget, but I mean, we don't, we don't account for this, this type of stuff in no. the operating budget. So making sure the maintenance guys were there. And I think the management uh, teams basically, you know, on top of that, we had icy road conditions, you know, mm -hmm. across. So it was kind of logistically challenging getting from here to there. So they kind of took it where they, the maintenance guys would go to the property that was closest to where they physically live, whether that was their property or oh, not. Okay. And kind of threw some through just kind of bodies at it and made sure that you know we had attack you know attack the um the, the issues that came up and you know luckily the management company manages about twenty thousand units in texas so we have a little bit of scale so they're able to get some um better better uh, better relationships with the vendors so we actually got some of the plumbers in and at the same time you got to make sure you're not getting price gouged and getting charged you know five thousand dollars for a one thousand dollar job yeah you know, this, kind of trying to balance all, all this stuff out all at the same same time and then you kind of got to roll your sleeves up and make sure you're supportive and and you know we're going to give all the guys that showed up to work last week everyone's going to get bonuses and things like that to try to reward them and you know we've been going out and taking out lunches to everybody and paying for all the teams have you know lunches as just a small little token of appreciation because i mean it I was uh, a bad week for me but it was absolutely terrible for them that actually were out there doing doing the heavy lifting yeah, no, I, you're absolutely right. And I love that you're, you know, you're taking care of the people that take care of your property. And, and that's absolutely critical, right? Because like you said, they're, they're running around, they want to help, you know, they're popping into neighboring properties and um, what, the, what a great team effort. That's awesome. And and I love that you, you know, are showing your appreciation to them yeah. with the bonuses. And, and, and on top that. of that too, you know, the other part of the clients, you got your, your tenants and we got all our investors on, on mm -hmm. top of that, right? So making sure that I'm sending emails out and kind of communicating what's going on and what, are, what we're doing to be proactive and, you know, kind of just updating them. So I updated them twice at the beginning of the week and at the end of the week last week, and then we're doing our monthly reporting. So I'm going property by property is giving specifics about the number of units affected or if the clubhouse had a ceiling drop or the fitness center or what, whatever it is. And just kind of making sure we're communicating to our investors, Hey, this is what's going on. And, you know, this is going to be below our deductible or we're going to follow a claim and, pay the insurance deductible, whatever the situation is per, per property. So I think that's kind of the other part, making sure you're proactively communicating with your investors and, you know, like you need to, uh, people like to share good news, but you need to probably share bad news even, even yeah. quicker. So that's Absolutely. kind of the other part of it. What a great tip right there um, because it's hard and, and it's not the email you want to send, but uh, your investors, I think will be grateful that, that you got, got information out to them right away. I mean, saw the same thing with COVID, right? It's like, communicate as often as possible, let them know what's happening at the property. Um, so what, um, what's changing? You know, what, what do you, what did you learn? what did you take from this last week or, or week and a half of a prep and going through it and another cleanup? Um, and is there anything that you're changing about whether it's insurance or policies or procedures for your properties that, that you'll take into the future? 
You know, I don't think we have too much to to change. I think we handled it about as well as you can. I mean, we're just kind of an onslaught, completely out of left field. And you know, if they didn't cut the they didn't cut the power, we're probably in one tenth the the problem, Justin, than (laughs) what we had in reality. So I don't know really how you could plan plan through that in any any better than what we did. I think it just kind of shows that you know. one, I feel feel good that we had, you know, uh, I think our proper proper level of insurance in place. So I feel okay about that. You know, we have fifty thousand dollars deductible. You can get a lower deductible, but you know, it's always the balancing act of you pay it more in your yeah. insurance rate if you you take a little less risk on your deductibles. And so I think that was fine. I mean, looking through all my entities, we had plenty of liquidity in all of our entities as well. So we should be able to absorb this uh, unexpected hit, the fifty thousand dollars, or in most cases, it's going to be less than that. Uh, just in repairs and maintenance that we we'll had to go through and kind of you know replace some sheetrock and you know plumbing and what, whatever else was 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 impacted. Um, so I'm making sure we have the proper liquidity. So that 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 was tested, and I think we're going to stand up pretty tall with that. Then making sure that way you know our communication levels are are at the right, both within the management teams, uh, with the management team as and, and us as kind of the representative of the owners, being the asset manager, as well as with the investor. And then now I need to go through and. I sent an email to one of my lenders reached out to me this morning, asked me what was going on. So I realized I probably need to now go through and, and update all my lenders on, on each of the assets with kind of the right. status report. And I think they appreciate being a little bit more proactive with my background. I would have appreciated it getting that, that email as sure. well. So your bankers, your investors, and your management teams, make sure you're clearly communicating what's going on. And it is what it is. It's not something that we did by being negligent. It's kind of a act of God per, per se. And, uh, and you just need to uh, explain what's happening and you know if this is going to impact your distributions because you didn't have proper liquidity or, or whatever has kind of caught you off guard then you need to cut your distributions off and tell your investors that as mm-hmm. well and make sure you retain that liquidity to you know pay for all this uh, damage you got to repair man there's so so many good tips in there and if I, I just want to recap a few of those for our audience and listeners because they apply to any property in any scenario but First off, you're saying you have plenty of cash reserves on your property, and and uh, you know it's very easy to sort of skimp by and and not raise enough cash or or have those extra reserves because eh, they're just reserves, they're not in the numbers. But you never know when something like this is going to happen, and you know the fact that you guys can, yeah, it's going to hurt, it's an impact, but it, it's not going to sideline you guys or or step you back, and you've got the cash to do it. That's number one. That's that's fantastic. Um, you act, you, not only did you act quickly, but you saw it coming, right? So you're well in tune with your property and your market. Obviously you guys live there, but you know, a lot of people will invest out of state or buy properties out of state. Um, you have to be in tune with the news and know what's happening at your properties and what's coming weather, of course, but also plenty of other factors, political issues, social issues, whatever, whatever's going on in the news for your market, you got to know what's happening. Um, so you guys saw that coming and started draining the fire systems and and just being proactive about it. And then you responded quickly and, and you jumped right on it out at the properties, getting the teams involved, working with your management, keeping your investors up to date. I mean, that's really how you handle a crisis, right, is, is to be as proactive as possible and over communicate with everybody so that everybody knows what's happening. But then you also said, like, you got to the point where it's like, I can't talk about it. I just have to let the guys do what they're doing and, you know, we'll, we'll get an update tomorrow, right? And you've yeah. just got to got to let the people do what you've hired them to do. So you had the right team in place, you had the right reserves, and you can over-communicate it. So uh, well done. And uh, I think we can all learn a lot as operators from, from how you guys handled that. And uh, certainly I learned a few things here too. Well, thank you. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Michael, I am going to ha- ask you for your true multifamily tip, which is going to be a piece of advice that you'll give somebody who is looking to get into multifamily investing. But before that, I want you to give our audience um, how I know you mentioned the podcast and the website yeah. before, but tell us everywhere that we can get in touch with you and learn more about your company. Yeah, I'll give a couple of resources. So uh, the the, the uh, thing that's kind of newest for me is uh, I've been the co-host of the Old Capital podcast for six, seven years now, I guess seven years, I can't believe it's been that long. So you find that on iTunes or Stitcher, or, you know, oldcapitalpodcast.com. So that's kind of what I've been doing, but started a, a complimentary show. It's kind of a little bit higher level, trying to talk to some pretty experienced brokers and owners and, you know, people that do, you know, a, a lot of business. And uh, that shows the multifamily investing show with Michael Becker. So it's at www.multifamilyinvestingshow.com, but it's uh, highly produced in the studio, um, kind of like my little poor man's attempt at uh, the Oprah studio here. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so you can find that on, it's, uh, it's both an audio and video, but it's on YouTube or the web, the website or, you know, iTunes or, or, um, you know, all, all the, probably anywhere you hear my voice, you can just kind of put that in. Uh, and then the company I run is uh, SPI advisory, which, uh, which is, you know, a multifamily investment firm focused in Texas. And we, uh, raise capital and do deals. Our company's website is uh, spiadvisory.com. So find some information there. So uh, pretty easy to find or just kind of type my name into Google. I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll pop up. It's either me or some uh, TV producer out of LA that does uh, TV reality TV shows for Fox. So there's two Michael Beckers <laughs> on the internet you'll find. So we'll either see that or we'll find you. Um, That's right. <laughs> on a personal note, I do want to say thank you for the the Old Capital podcast because that I think was the second so of course, bigger pockets like being the first podcast, sure. real estate podcast that I listening to, but Old Capital. Uh, when I started thinking about multifamily, that I think that was the first first podcast I went to, um, and so much great information there. And you know, thank you for me. And and so yeah. if you're not listening to my show, definitely check out that show. And uh, it's so much good information. And and now years and years of of episodes up there. So there's there's so much to learn. Yeah, it's, it's funny because when you start out, uh, you know, I was joking with Paul, the co-host, says, you know, we started out with dozens and dozens of listeners, and then now, you know, we're getting fifty thousand downloads a month. And it's crazy. So you got to be uh, an apartment nerd to listen to it too. Yeah. It's all about a, a multifamily investing. So it's not a it's a super niche uh, topic. It's not very light and fluffy. So uh, you know, if you're an apartment nerd, it's uh, it's the show for you. Absolutely. Really, really good stuff. Um, okay, so speaking of our for our apartment nerds, um, Michael, someone comes to you and says, "Look, Michael, I've been doing single families, some small multis. I want to get into multifamily investing. What is your true multifamily tip?" You know, I, mean, I think I think uh, whether you want to be passive or you want to be like a lead or a sponsor of a deal, I mean, I, th- I think it's kind of similar. You know, the uh, last twelve months aside, I mean, this is not a business you could do from uh, behind your computer or at, at, at home or at your office. You got to get out. You got to get networked. You got to get to know people. So whether that's virtually through through Zoom, which we've been doing for a little while, but it seems like we're going to start kind of getting back at it here uh, any day now and start start having events. I'm looking forward to kind of getting getting on an airplane and going somewhere personally. So I think going to conferences, meeting people, get networked. I mean, you know, got to got to get your base level education in place, but you know, more, more than that, it's really about getting networked and getting, getting connected with people. So yeah, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. So whether, whether that's, um, you know, you're a, you're a limited partner trying to become, you know, uh, meet various sponsors you want to potentially invest alongside and keep your day job. That's certainly, you know, they're going to take some work. Um, they're not going to likely find you. You've got to kind of find them. You know, nowadays, you know, with shows like, like yours and, and, and my show, there's, there's a lot of us out there. So it's a little bit easier today to kind of identify, yeah you know, people that are, are doing this business, but, uh, you know, go to events, go to conferences, 
get out, kind of press the flesh and, you know, put the, put the time in. I mean, I think that you'll, you'll get paid off dramatically. If you just wait for people to come to you, it's, it's probably not going to happen. A hundred percent agree. It is a people business. Um, you guys have had conferences in the past, correct? Are you, are you yep. planning to get back in person anytime soon? Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully soon. I know we, uh, uh, they had last year's conference was virtual like everybody. So hopefully yep. this, uh, this fall we'll have one in person and, uh, Looking forward to. I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm done sitting around. Uh, you know, most of my life's pretty, 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 uh, pretty much normal. I mean, I go to the office ever since June. I've been going to the office every day. Yeah. And I had a few business trips. You know, he's got to and have business dinners. And I'm in Texas, and that's the thing we can do here. Right. I'm not sure where where you're located, but uh, you know, some some of these other states are a little bit more locked down than that. But we're locked down up here you know, in the snow and cold of New Jersey. Uh, we are locked down. I mean, you know, like if you uh, if you didn't know there's COVID and you wanted to get out and about, or you go to some of the more popular restaurants around town, it's uh, it's almost like normal to be to be honest wow. with you guys here. Wow. And um, you know, if you you want to get into the markets, you got to get on a plane and come into town, and you, gotta you have to be there. And if you don't do that, you're not going to be successful. And just kind of kind of part of the business. There's just a reality of uh, what's going on. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. We just got back from touring our properties last week in North Carolina, and it's like. Brokers, managers, other investors, you 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 do it all. Meetups. I mean, people are out there doing it. You gotta be, be in town. Michael, could not agree more. I hope to see you the fall in the fall. If you guys have it, I will be there absolutely awesome. in person. Cannot wait. Uh, thank you so much for for coming on the show. Our audience, thank you, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, Susan. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily. I'm really, really proud to have this show produced by our company, On Air Brands. Check us out at onairbrands.com. We also have an incredible, unique podcasting event that we would love for you to be a part of. Check that out at podmax.co.